Amen. In December 2014, you know, in the culmination of a number of events, we decided it was time for us to move back to the United States. And we spent seven and a half years in China doing mission work. And uh, when we came back, I kind of had big ideas. You know, I, had, I spoke Chinese. I was going to come back. This, this amazing opportunity was going to open up, whether it's ministry or in the corporate world. And it was all just going to flow. Well, what I found out was a rude awakening. What a lot of returning missionaries find out is when you've been gone for a long time, it's not that people have forgotten you, it's that they've kind of moved on. And so there's not like people lining up to hire you. There's not churches lining up to, to make room for you on staff. And so it was a bit of a rude awakening for me. And so I started out with a list of like top jobs I was going to pursue. And then it wasn't too long before I moved down to my second tier. And then it wasn't too long after that to where I was just putting in applications everywhere. I just needed a job, right? And so it was a little bit embarrassing. It was a little bit upsetting that, you know, I thought, you know, God had led us all those years and we believed that he was leading us back, but we weren't seeing evidence of his activity at that time. So eventually, you know, through a, through a connection, I got a job at the Chick-fil-A in Monroe and I worked there for a good 10 months. Nice people, great company, but I just felt unsettled, you know, that all these years abroad, all this effort, you know, expended and then here I am, you know, standing behind a front counter saying it's my pleasure, which it was, you know, it was my pleasure, but it wasn't what I had thought that it was going to happen. I, it wasn't what I expected that God was going to do. So I was a little bit discouraged. But in the fall, you know, when I heard that Daryl was moving north and then I, I stepped in and filled in a few times, and then all of a sudden, just miraculously, I saw God opening doors for me to do as my job, something that I love, which is to preach and teach the Word of God, which is to care for people during the week, to connect with people. But I had to wait. You know, all those days that I got up really early to go bag sandwiches or wrap biscuits, I was discouraged. I didn't know what God was up to, but He was active. He was moving. I just didn't see it. And my struggle kind of narrowed my perspective, and all I could see was my own upset and my own frustration. But he was active all that time, and now I love what I do every day. I'm so thankful for this job. My wife has a great job with fish, helping them to develop a social services ministry. My kids are at school, going to Loganville Christian. They love it, and we're so grateful for what God has done, but it wasn't on my timetable. And so I was so, you know, my, my vision got very narrow, and I was so upset that I wasn't seeing God work, but he was working all along, and I didn't even know it. And in the end, he's provided a special arrangement for my family during this season. You know, a hardship tends to blind us to what God is doing around us. When we are upset, our world tends to shrink down to the size of our pain or our disappointment. The only thing that we see is our present circumstances, right? That's all that we can see. All of our thoughts and conversations tend to revolve around what we're going through, right? And our friends and family kind of get... A little bit annoyed. It's like, okay, I've heard this before. You know, you're, you're playing the same song again. But that's just where we're at. And, we don't, and when we don't see progress, we feel increasingly helpless to change our circumstances. So what can we do when we feel ourselves falling into this familiar cycle? Is this a familiar cycle for you? It is for me. When I'm struggling, when I'm upset, when things aren't going my way, and I don't see a way around it or through it. So what can we do? Well, today we're going to read a story of two disciples who went into a tailspin after Jesus' crucifixion. 
They were so focused on their disappointment and their frustration that their perspective blinded them to what God was doing. Their perspective blinded them to what God was doing. Turn to Luke chapter 24 with me as we read through this story together and see what God has for us this morning. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So these are two disciples who had been followers of Jesus, and their disappointment drove them to leave, right? They didn't just leave Jerusalem, but they left the other believers there. They left the encouragement that was available. They were so focused on their disappointment and their problems that they almost missed history's greatest event. They were walking in the wrong direction, away from Jerusalem, away from the the security, away from the opportunity to be with other Christians. They were leaving. They were headed away. And you know what? We're likely to miss Jesus and withdraw from the strength found in other believers when we become preoccupied with our dashed hopes and our frustrated plans, right? I mean, is this where you're living today? Have you been through this? So number one, their direction, right? Their behavior was away. They were running away from the place, from the people, because they were so upset. You know, your direction is a reflection of where your heart is. In other words, your behavior, your actions, it's a reflection of where your heart is. You know, when you're struggling, in order to better understand yourself, ask yourself the following question, right? What do my actions reveal about where I'm coming from? When you're, when you're behaving in a certain way and, you're, and you're just, you don't understand, you know, what, what's going on inside my head? What's going on inside my heart? So just ask yourself the question, what do my actions reveal about my faith at this time? Because that's the core issue. Do my actions reflect my belief that God is active in my circumstances? Because for these two guys, what were their actions showing? They had lost hope. They, had, they lacked belief, and they were taken off because it was over. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. In, obviously, they were discussing, as we'll see later, this from a perspective of, of disappointment. You know, some kinds of talking are helpful, right, when we're struggling with something, when we're going through something. But there's other kinds of talking. It just prolongs our pain. It prolongs our disappointment. It narrows our perspective. You know, someone who's dejected, they begin to lose hope. And they say fewer and fewer options. And so for these guys, they said, hey, Jesus is dead, right? This is over. Let's go home. So it's number two, their conversation, it it revealed what was going on in their hearts, their faith. Your conversation is a clue. You know, when we're struggling, what happens is our conversation, it, it it begins to build a barrier, right? And it gets higher, and it gets wider, and we can't see any way around it. And we can't see any way through our circumstances. And the way that we talk about it, it just continues to make it more and more complicated, more and more dark, less and less optimistic if we allow our conversation to drift away from faith. But if by faith we can change the conversation, 
we will be better positioned to see the signs that God is at work. So another question this morning is, what do my words reveal about my faith? Now, I don't know what it is you're struggling with or what it is you've struggled with. We all come from different places. But think about your actions. Think about your words. What does that reveal about your faith? Do you believe that God is not just aware of what's going on with you, but that he's active and he's involved? And this is not an easy question, and it might, we might have trouble untangling it, but our words and our actions are clues. They clue us into what's going on in our thinking and what's going on in our hearts. Verse 15, continuing on with the story. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus has already been raised from the dead. There's already been people who've gone to the tomb. They've been spoken to by the angels, and they're still not sure what it means. And so here comes Jesus, and he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So Jesus doesn't choose to reveal himself yet. You know why it's not immediately clear what he's up to, but one thing that is clear is that Jesus doesn't lead with statements, right? He could have said some things, revealed himself, taken away their ignorance and changed the conversation completely, but he didn't do that. What does he do here? Jesus leads with questions. He wants to hear their thoughts on what has occurred first. You know, when someone's struggling, it is important not to lead with statements, right? Telling them what's happening, telling them what you think. It's crucial that we lead with questions. There was a time in our lives when we were struggling with a health issue with our daughter, And we ran into some people at a restaurant, and they were very uncomfortable with what we were going through, and so they didn't ask any questions. They just resorted to statements. God's got this. God's got a plan. God's going to make something good out of this. God knew you were strong enough to handle this, and it wasn't helpful. So when somebody's deep in their pain, let's lead like Jesus did with questions. So he leads with questions, not statements. And look at their response. It reveals kind of where they're coming from. He says, what are you discussing? As they were walking along, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? So it's a little bit of a brusque response, huh? But it betrays their mood. I mean, how often do our, do our facial expressions and our responses kind of betray where we're coming from? And this is the lesson here this morning for us is that when we're like the disciples and we're so blinded and our perspective's so limited, we're going to miss out on something very obvious that God is up to. And in this situation, Jesus is with them. Jesus is talking to them and they're completely unaware. Verse 19, we get into what they were hoping for. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a powerful prophet in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. So what they had hoped. You know, the disciples from Emmaus, they were counting on Jesus to redeem 
Israel, that is to rescue the nation from their enemies. You know, most Jews believed that the Old Testament prophecies referred to a military, a political Messiah who was going to rescue them from Rome. They didn't realize the Messiah had come to redeem people from their sins. It wasn't about politics. It wasn't about power. It was about breaking the power of sin that's so powerful in your life and mine. So when Jesus died, they lost all hope. They didn't understand that Jesus' death offered the greatest hope possible. And now that three days had passed, they have showed the condition of their faith. But this gets even more interesting. Verse 22. So Jesus is dead. Their hope is dead. But they've seen evidence that something else is going on and they haven't caught it yet. Verse 22, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. It happened that day, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. You know, they're so focused on their disappointment and their frustration that even this clear evidence that God is at work doesn't remove their unbelief. Their downcast faces, their conversation, their direction is still one of unbelief. Maybe at this point, maybe they've moved a little bit to disbelief. They hear it, they hear reports, but they still don't get it. It hasn't sunk in. Today, the resurrection still catches people by surprise, right? In spite of 2,000 years of evidence and witness, Many people still don't believe that it actually happened. What more is it going to take? You know, for these disciples, it took an encounter with a living, breathing Jesus. But for many people in our midst, in our schools, in our communities, in our families even, it's going to take an encounter with a living, breathing, bona fide Christian. Somebody whose belief drives their behavior, drives their words. But again, we're getting to a place where, where for you and me, that's something we can't fake, right? If, you're, if your heart is struggling with unbelief, you can say the right things, but it's clear that you're struggling and your actions betray you. And so what God wants to do for you and for me today is he wants us to bring us to a place of faith, a place of belief that's going to drive the kind of actions, that's going to drive the kind of words that reveal that faith. So where are you at today? Verse 25 and 26, Jesus, seeing their unbelief, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He says how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. This was always the way it had to be. Early on in Jesus' ministry, we see evidence. He starts talking about Jerusalem. He starts talking about the cross. He starts talking about suffering, but the disciples don't want to hear it. I mean, that's not why they were in it, right? Jesus was a powerful rabbi, and they wanted to be rabbis too. They weren't in it to suffer. They were in it to succeed. They were in it to gain. These folks were so caught up in the world's admiration of political power and military that they were unprepared for the reversal of values in God's kingdom, that the last will be first, and that death grows out of life. 
or that life grows out of death. Life grows out of death. So he says, let us not be slow of heart. You know, when things are going well, belief is a feeling, right? We all want to be in the end zone praising Jesus after scoring that winning touchdown, right? So when things are going well, when everything's well, when our health is well, when our finances are well, when we see God working, belief is a feeling, right? We feel it. It surges. We're optimistic. We're positive. But when things are not going well, belief is a choice. You know, there are times we know the outcome's out of our hands. What is it for you today? Something's out of your hands. And belief is not surging up. It's something you're going to have to choose to do. You know, in these times, Jesus would encourage you to trust God until you see the evidence that God is at work. He would, he would encourage you. He would encourage me in that situation that you're in, maybe even today, even though you don't see it, even though the way you talk about it, your, your actions, it's like it's building a wall. You don't see God at work, but he's saying continue to trust. Continue to lean in until you see the evidence. And when you persist in this, some of you can speak from experience, when you choose faith, it becomes both a habit, right? The next time when you've seen God do something, when you've seen God be faithful, it becomes a habit. But it also becomes a history, right? It's something that you draw on. In hard times. You say, in the past, God came through all these times. And so I'm going to choose to trust him one more time. Because it's become a habit and it's become a history. And when you face doubts in the future, this habit is now grounded in that history. And this will lead you and I to a bedrock and crucial belief that life is hard. Life is hard. It's not easy. It's not simple. And I'll be honest today, I don't know. I, mean, I know you some, and some of you I've talked to at length, and I, had, I was shocked at what you've been through. I had no idea. You have no idea when you're sitting across the table from somebody what they've been through, what they're going through, what they will go through. And, it, and we struggle to relate. So I don't know what's going on for you, but I know that life is hard. But also we know that God is active. Life is hard, but God is active. And if we choose to trust and we make it a habit, then it will become a history, that, a bedrock, a foundation for us to continue to trust God in the future. And the harder it gets, and it gets hard, the more we look for his hand. Right, when it's a habit, and it gets hard, and it gets harder, and it gets the hardest, then we look harder. Because we need, we need to believe that God is at work, and that God is active. You know, Scripture teaches again and again that, you know, what we want is we say, God, I'll believe it when I see it. That's what we want. And sometimes it happens, right? And it's, and it's a miracle, and we're so grateful I see it, and now I believe it. But you remember Jesus' conversation with Thomas? And Jesus said, now you believe because you see. You, you see the scars in my hands. But blessed is the man who believes without seeing. So in God's kingdom, what has more value 
is that we believe and then we see. So in God's kingdom, believing leads to seeing. Verse 27, and beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Would have loved to have been present for this conversation, right? Jesus gives his synopsis or his overview of the Old Testament in a few paragraphs, or maybe it was 30, 45 minutes, I don't know. But I do know that when you look at the Old Testament, Christ is the thread woven through all the scriptures. He's the central theme that binds them together. You know, sometimes we need help understanding the Bible. It, it, and when, it, when that happens, it's helpful to have someone with experience who can guide us. This past Wednesday night, I'm so grateful I was with your children up in the, the classroom. And, and if you don't have them there, please bring them. And when I share a Bible story with them and I ask them basic questions about the story, they're so straightforward. Their answers are simple. Their answer, it's so easy for them to believe, Right? And that's what God wants from us, a childlike faith. And when I present the scriptures to them and they get the truth from it and they just, they just accept it, that God loves them, that God knows their name, that God's with them, that God will never leave them. But when we get older and we're dealing with adult problems, it's easy for us to lose sight of that simple childlike faith. Verse 28 as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So Jesus finally reveals himself. How often are we unaware of what God is doing? Right in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our challenge, when our eyes are blinded, when our conversation is not our friend, when our actions are taking us away from the Lord. Then we don't see it, right? We don't see that God is at work today in your circumstances. And they said, we're not our hearts burning within us. Have you ever experienced this? Maybe when you first became convinced of the truth that Jesus died for you. Didn't it make your heart burn? Didn't it humble you? Didn't it affect you at a deep level that Jesus, the king, came off his throne and came to this earth and died on the cross for you? And that's what these men had just come to realize. Jesus didn't just die. He came back to life. And it changed everything. So what are some areas in your life where you might struggle with unbelief? And I'm just going to cover a few of these examples. And in these areas, I want you to think, what do your actions and your words indicate about your faith? And I believe what God wants for you and I today is he wants to inspire us. You know, if we've made faith a habit, if we have a history with God, he's wanting us to just believe, to hang on, to persist until we see evidence that he's at work. So what about you? Today, maybe it's a difficult relationship for you. And your underlying belief, you know, the question is, can God help me be healthy? Can God help us? And maybe it's a family relationship, maybe it's a spouse relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Can God help us be healthy? Do you believe that that's even possible? 
Examine your actions. Am I withdrawing from this person? Do I not really believe that it's possible to make it work? And then with your conversation, are you owning your part in the problem? Or are you just wanting to put it, push all the responsibility off? That's a sign that maybe you don't really believe that God can make you healthy. What about health challenges? This is a big one. And I've only just begun, right? I'm 37 this month, and I have my little problems. But do you believe that God has a plan in your health challenge? And that's a tough one. Because it just, it's just part of life. It's just part of aging. And it's so frustrating and so debilitating, maybe what you're going through. But do you believe that God has a plan in this? What about a work situation? Do you believe that God is indifferent to your career? You know, maybe you're just enduring something that's unpleasant. Or maybe you're seeking a way to escape a difficult work situation. And do you believe that God even cares about your career and about your work situation? You know, what about a school situation? Maybe you're in school or maybe your kids are in school and things aren't going so well. Do you believe that God can really make a difference at school? Or is it just kind of like a place that God's been invited out of and every, anything goes? And you're just praying that your kids make it through and survive. Do you believe that God can make a difference through Christian teachers, through other Christian students, through your student? But this is an issue of faith, right? And our actions, and our, if, we're, if we're just passive and saying, I just pray they make it through, or the way that we talk about it reveals where our hearts are at, where our faith is at. What about financial struggles? Do you believe that God's really going to provide for your needs? Is that a challenge for you? When the bills are long and the income list is short, do you believe that God's going to provide for you? And when it comes to your choices, this is a tough one. Are you a little bit overly controlling with the expenses because you're afraid? Or are you maybe just a little bit free with the expenses because, hey, my, my finances are unmanageable anyway. But if we believe that God intends to provide for our needs, how would we behave? How would we speak? And then lastly, what about fractured relationships? And this is a really hard one. When it's like somebody has stepped away and said, that's it. And there's been a break. And the relationship, it's like, it's fr- like a bone. It's a fracture that's not being repaired. Do you believe that God's really able to repair it? You know, what, what about your actions in this situation? Are you just kind of passive and inactive and saying, this is done, this is over, I'm moving on, I can't do anything about it? And when you talk about it, you just talk about how hopeless you feel. So in all these areas, what Jesus would challenge us today is he'd say, do not be slow of heart. Life is hard, but God is active. Look at what God did in this story. He sent Jesus to live, to die, and then be raised to life. He surprised the unbelieving, and their faith came alive. Their hearts burned, and they were resolved not to lose heart again. So the challenge for us today is to align our actions and our words with a choice to trust So what might your actions look like with an attitude of faith in your challenge? What might your words sound like? What kind of conversations would you have if you've chosen to trust and say, I know, even though I don't see, 
I believe that God has a plan. I believe that God is involved. I believe that God's going to come through, not in my timetable, on his timetable. Because what is the alternative, right? And Peter said this so well. When Jesus gave a hard sermon in the book of John, and everybody started leaving, and Jesus said, are you going to go too? And he said, where else am I going to go? Where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of life. So what might our lives look like if we really believe that God is actively involved in our circumstances? You know, let's not miss out on what God is up to. Let's not allow our direction, conversation, and attitude to blind us to all the ways in which God is moving around us. Pray with me. God, thank you for this morning and for this lesson Thank you that you surprised the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that they were so upset because all they could see was darkness and hopelessness, and they felt helpless. And so they, had, they were just throwing in the towel, God, and they were headed home. So I pray, God, that in my friends in each of their individual circumstances today in this season, that you would encourage their hearts and and. and, and Let them know, God, that you're there, that you're involved, that you're aware, that you care, God. And that even though they don't see it, even though they struggle to believe it, God, that you've got a plan. And that you will work things out. If they'll just continue to hold on to faith, that grain of faith, until they see evidence. God, that they they would believe and believe and believe until finally one day... Maybe sometimes in retrospect, God, we see. So we just pray that you would strengthen our faith because we want to be people who live lives of faith, who have conversations where we encourage people to believe, to, to live lives, to have actions that draw people, that point people to you, God. But we know we can't fake it, so we need your help. You know, like the person said to Jesus, they said, I believe, help my unbelief. We need you every day, God, to prop up our faith sometimes so that we can push through one more day and continue to cling to faith that you are who you say you are and that you will bring about the results that we're desiring to see in your timing and according to your will. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.